HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Akuaku. Every week, we'll delve into the delicious world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. It's Friday morning here on the East Coast in the U.S. I'm sitting in the D.C. area and my guest is in Atlanta this morning. Um, Excited to have her on because this is one of the big pain points that I personally experienced um, when I first moved to the U.S. and then ever since. And so her solution is godsend in a lot of ways, and I'm excited to dig into this. So welcome to the show, Whitney. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Whitney Osei, although I thought I've known you, or I shouldn't say I've known you, but I, I guess your persona I've known as Whitney Osei, but when I was looking you up, you had a second last name, I think. And so I just want to make sure, I know that names are important to people. So I just want to make sure I have your full name. It's Whitney Osei Akinteju. Yeah, so it's, it's Whitney Osei Akinteju, okay. formerly Whitney Osei, but now that I'm married, I've taken on my husband's Nigerian yeah. last name. So hence the, <laughs> hence the difference. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I just want to make sure um, that I got your, your full name right. Okay, great. Well, I'm excited to have you on. Um, but before we even dive, I, I've teased a little bit what we're going to talk about. But before we get there, um, could you share with everyone here like a little bit about yourself? Um, who are you? Where did you grow up? How did you end up in Atlanta? <laughs> I know it's like a lo- I'm sure it's a long story. Let's we'll connect the high level dots here. Yeah, I'm gonna condense it for you because if I if I start, we're gonna be here for three hours. But um, yeah, I'm originally from Chibi, Ghana. I was born in Chibi, Kibi, Ghana, um, and I lived there until I was about six years old. My mom had me super young when she was 20 and still in college. So I actually grew up living with my mom's mom, my grandmother. Um, And then when I turned six, my father's mother, my paternal grandmother, um, basically brought us to the U.S., which was absolutely unbelievable at the time because 
she not only brought me and my dad, but she brought all of her children and all of her grandchildren. Oh, so that's, wow. yeah. And she did that at like the age of 60. So that's like, that's six passports, uh, six that's visas, insane. six green cards, six plane tickets. She paid for all of that. Um, so I, I came here with my dad and we left my mom behind and we lived in Maryland where I went to school, elementary school for about a, a year or two. And then I moved to Atlanta with my dad. Oh, I um, should I, be I, pinging I you about Maryland then. So I live in, I live in Maryland and we can talk about where specifically offline, but I live in Maryland. And as I told awesome. you, I told you offline, um, I have a little one. So I'm starting to look at um, elementary schools <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just considering them so maybe that's a conversation we have offline but cool okay yeah so I when we moved to the U.S. we, we were living in Silver Spring Maryland I still remember the address 75 East Wayne Avenue <laughs> um, and uh, we you know when you're coming to America okay let me just back up coming a little to bit America. Because, yeah like I didn't know what was happening at the age of six, right? Mm-hmm. I just, one day I was in the village. My dad just showed up with this truck, like this pickup truck. And he's like, we're going somewhere. And I'm like, okay. And next thing I know, here I am in America in this two bedroom apartment, all mm-hmm. six of us living with my grandmother. And I remember, and this this ties into why I created Ethnic District. I remember my dad all of us going to the airport and my dad had packed like the, uh, you know, the thing you used to pound for food. Oh my God. <laughs> he packed it. The mortar and the pestle. The yes. whole thing. Wow. This man packed this thing to the airport and wanted to come with the fufu and the, the fufu pounder <laughs> because he loves fufu. And I remember us getting to the airport and then be like, uh, no, sir, this is not gonna, this is not gonna fly. And he was like, oh, why? Because he loves Fufu so much. He wanted to, he wanted to take it with yeah. him. And so, so that's, that's just a really funny story, but yeah. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> right. it's, and it's so you crazy. You didn't know any better. <laughs> right. But yeah. you still see, I feel like you'd still see today in 2021, if you go to the airport, like in Accra, Lagos, wherever, as people are heading right. west, like all sorts of contraptions. Um, exactly exactly and so we had like these you know like utopic (laughs) ideas of what America was going to be I remember us pulling up to my grandmother's apartment which was a Mm high-rise and one of my cousins Nashka was like well grandma this building is for you and she was (laughs) calling everybody in Ghana to tell them that grandma has this big house and we got inside the apartment and it was just one room that we went into and it was one small apartment. I remember her kind of being shocked, like, this is it. I thought like this whole thing was for you because in Ghana, when you think of America, you think it's all yeah. flashing lights and glitter mm-hmm. and gold. Um, no one talks about the struggle, but long story short, uh, my dad moved to Atlanta by himself to look for work. So I was staying with my grandmother and going to school in Highsville at the time. And then he got married um, and then I went to live with him and his new wife, my stepmom. Um, and so that's how I ended up in Atlanta. And I have pretty much lived here ever since. So um, that's pretty how, how, how I got here. Um, and then as we think about how you ended up with ethnic districts, so you went, you moved mm-hmm. to Atlanta. So what did you do in terms of a career? Because almost 99.9% of the people that I interview here 
um, had a career before they got into this, into the food, the wider food ecosystem. And so like, what, what did you do before landing at Ethnic District? And then what sort of was the impetus, I guess, for starting to think about, oh, I want to do something in the food space? So that was never my goal. Like mm-hmm. I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but growing up, I really loved web development. Mm-hmm. Like I loved building websites. I loved anything that had to do with technology. So that's primarily what my background is in. Um, I remember even in high school, like I would create people's MySpace layouts for them in exchange <laughs> for follows. Like, hey, if I make your MySpace layout, you have to put me in your top eight. <laughs> So like you would go to MySpace and you would just keep seeing me on all of the African oh pages. My gosh. Like, right? I'm showing my age, but um, <laughs> I, I created like on my MySpace page, I made it a like a, a music page. And mm-hmm. so I would always, my dad always had like the latest Ghanaian songs on his CDs. Oh my you gosh. Know? This and is really I would rip taking them me back, 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 back. <laughs> Uh, right right so I would rip them off and I would put them on my MySpace page and so I always had like the latest song so everybody would always come to my page to like uh hear what's what the latest songs in Ghana were so again even at that time I didn't Mm -hmm. realize it but I was finding ways to help people connect back to the continent Mm -hmm. and at that time it was through music yeah Um, And so growing up in Atlanta, even though we had a lot of African food stores, I just remember it not being very convenient for us to get some items. Like I love King's Bite chocolate. And I remember only getting it when one of our family members would go Mm -hmm. to Ghana and visit and they would bring me like one bar. Oh, Oh, that's (laughs) cool. Well, I guess they're they're probably managing their ways too, right? (laughs) like exactly bringing something for everybody so you get a chocolate bar you get a chocolate (laughs) it's like an Oprah you get a bar you get a bar you get a bar and that was the highlight of my year when I got that chocolate bar but um transitioning into tech growing up I was just very entrepreneurial everyone always said Whitney is either going to be like a business owner like she's always trying to sell something she's always hustling or she's going to be like some sort of TV presenter because I love to talk. (laughs) Um, And so when I started college, I ended up dropping out because I was switching my majors like so often. Mm. And I didn't know why I was there. I was already working um, at Bank of America. And I was like, why am I even here? I don't know what I want to do. I'm more of a hands-on person. Like I would rather go do an internship for two years at a company than like read chapters of books and go take tests. So I ended up dropping out of college, like my sophomore year. And I told myself, look, if you're going to drop out of college, you need to be really smart and you need to be really scrappy and you need to find a way to learn what you need to survive Mm -hmm. and, you know, have a great job. And I did that. I was always the first in the last to leave. Mm -hmm. I would go to other departments and shadow them just so I could learn. And that's really how I, I got into tech. Um, I started, when I started working at Sage Software, I started off in the IT, like the support department, Mm -hmm. helping customers with bank reconciliations and stuff like that for the Sage accounted software. Um, And then I think listening to my conversations with customers, 
my manager was like, Whitney, you have a knack for sales. Maybe you should go to sales. So I went over to sales and I killed it there. <laughs> um, but I got bored. Um, I just, I got to a point in my life where I was a about 24 at the time, I was making a, a great amount of money for someone who's dropped out of college and yeah. only 24 years old. Um, but I was just not very content, not very happy. And so I made this rash decision in 2015 to move to Ghana. I just like quit my job, gave oh, my two wow. notice, oh, that's and I left. <laughs> that's deep. Okay. <laughs> like, peace out. <laughs> And my friends were like, but what are you going to do in Ghana? I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure it out when I get there. And so I went. And while I was there, I was like, God, we have a lot of amazing products Mm -hmm. in Ghana. But why aren't these being migrated over to like these international markets? Like, why can't I walk into a, a Kroger or a Publix and see these products? And I think even at that time, like those little seeds of ethnic district were slowly creeping Mm -hmm. into my subconscious, even though I wasn't acting on it, like the seeds were being planted. Um, And so long story short, the Ghana experience was a failure because (laughs) obviously I didn't have a plan and I had to Um, come back. You know, everything I would say, maybe not a failure, but because it inspired something in you, right? So exactly, there was a purpose for that too. Um, so tell us about ethnic district. We've, we've sort of teased and mentioned it. Um, so for anyone that's listening for the first time, one, what is ethnic district? And two, how did you come up with a name? I'm always curious about how people come up with the names for this stuff. (laughs) So, uh, ethnic district actually came about when I came back from Ghana. Um, my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, um, we ended up, getting pregnant with my daughter. So I was I was actually supposed to come, ship down a car and go back to Ghana to try again. And my husband was basically like, you're not going anywhere. And no, it's my baby. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't want you to go. And here's this baby, now you're here. And so um, I, I was pregnant with my daughter and I ended up staying and I started working as an engagement coordinator for a PR publishing company, building websites, managing web development for 22 markets. Um, But at at the time I was pregnant, I remember driving to the African store and it was like the most tedious thing in my life. Like I would sit in traffic, I would get there. Oftentimes they wouldn't even have what I was looking for. Um, And I was like, God, there's got to be an easier way. So because I have that tech background, I actually built Ethnic District, which is $80. I started it from like my living room. (laughs) And um, when I started, I would drive to the African store. I would take pictures of the products listed on the website. When people would place orders, I'd go pick it up, ship it to customers. And then I just kept doing that to build early traction and demand, which ended up working because it got people's attention and um, got sellers on the platform. So for anyone that's listening, Ethnic District is a two-sided online marketplace. It's essentially Amazon, but for African CPG products and brands. So um, sellers can sign up, list their products on our website, and then uh, they make money from selling their products on on our website. So um, that's what we do. And our mission really is to change the perceptions and stigmas of like, African products, how they're made, you know, what they're like, the quality. Because when a lot of people think of 
African groceries or African food, their mind quickly goes to like that mom and pop African store experience, which isn't always great. I know for me, I walk in there and things are everywhere. Sometimes there's been multiple times when I walk into some of these stores and I'm looking at the products like there's no way this meets FDA like food guidelines. Like this is just someone with their coolie coolie in a plastic bag wrapped and it's being sold. So um, I really wanted to change how people view that by creating this, you know, online space where you can see high quality brands from, you know, high quality brands and high quality products from, you know, brands in Africa, in the U.S., in the U.K., all over the world. And you can have a one-stop designation where you can shop and have it delivered conveniently to your house. So that's what really started Ethnic District. And uh, how I came up with the name is because I always, when I'm building something, I think about the future before I think about the now. So my ultimate goal is to be a place where you can find products from all ethnic groups, not just the, you know, the African community. And so I wanted the name to reflect that, to be like this district, like this, this whole community where you can find all of these amazing ethnic products. So that's how we came up with the name. And that's what we're doing at Ethnic District. Like this is like, first of all, it's great. And it all makes sense that you have the tech background because Honestly, since I got into this space, it's something that I personally have been looking to to build potentially, uh, but I just haven't had, and I think I told you this offline, the technical know-how and just also the time, right? And so um, coming across your platform, I think I actually probably came across you and an ethnic district in a clubhouse conversation, like mm-hmm. at the height of the pandemic, and I made a mental mm-hmm. note and then... Um, to reach out and then you know life happened <laughs> but of course. um I think I think it's fantastic I think it's a great way again to showcase um the potential so even for those that are now starting out in terms of yeah like thinking about their packaging or like how they um present themselves to the to the world you know I think that your platform can also be aspirational for the buyer side. Um, And even speaking of the buyer side, how do you, and and what we've talked about in terms of going to the store and and what you Mm -hmm. tend to see, how do you, what's the right term? Vet the businesses, for lack of a better term, um, that are able to join your platform or what's the process for a business that's interested in joining your platform? Yeah. So, excuse me, oftentimes our customers actually recommend brands for us. So they'll send us like uh, contact information or websites of brands that they think will be perfect for ethnic district, because I think we've gotten to a point now where like you can kind of tell the brands that make it on ethnic district and the ones that won't. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, that's one way. And then what happens is when they fill out the seller application form, like the application form is pretty detailed. So we okay. ask for your product images, your product mock-ups, your website. Um, you have to upload your, your business registration because it's important that you are a registered business mm-hmm. when you are doing this. Um, you know, we want to make sure that and when we're looking at your products, we want to make sure that your labeling meet FDA guidelines. Yeah. Um, are you listing your ingredients on your packaging? <laughs> because that's a lot of, that's one thing that a lot of people don't do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you would think it's so like um, common, not even common sense. Like you would think it would just be like a duh, but 
Um, the thing is, a lot of people don't know. A lot of the brands are so excited. Well, let me just even take a step back. A lot of the brands that we work with um, that are coming from Africa, most of them are creating businesses out of necessity. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's sometimes um, the brands that we have to turn down, you can kind of tell that they're not creating the businesses for value. It's like, I need to find something to do. Yes. To make money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But if you want to have a strong business and you want to scale in international markets, you have to spend a lot of time in investing your brand mm -hmm. in your packaging, because what will fly in Africa does not fly here. Consumers are used to a certain quality of products, a certain type of presentation. And if you don't meet that, they're not going to buy your products. They don't care how good your chin chin taste. If you <laughs> tie it and put it in a plastic bag, no one is buying it. Yeah. Right? yeah. And I think another thing that, um, and I, I think I'm kind of going off top of your, your question, but another thing that uh, I think a lot of the African brands miss is that when you are creating a product, you want to think about your international customers, like global customers. Mm -hmm. You want to create products that are good not just for the African community but you know Bill down the street can also enjoy it yeah be intrigued <laughs> by it yeah um, so yeah, and, I, and I think also like in a lot of ways the the African consumer is also becoming a little bit more savvy, right? I think mm -hmm. with exposure to, you know, between, you know, the combination of international media and social media um, and just exposure to what could be, mm -hmm. there is yeah. almost an elevated expectation of what you, you bring to the table in terms of your product set. So, um, Yeah. And then with that higher value set, I, I think that then you can also price yourself in a way that can be economically sustaining for you, for you and your family too. So exactly. yeah, these are all good reasons. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. As you were talking, I actually wondered, and I know because this, this already probably takes a lot of your time, but I wonder if separately you may have a program. And I was just thinking about this. I hadn't planned to ask you this but if you ha may have a program that helps educate some of these businesses um because i don't know if you maybe see potential businesses that could eventually just end up on you for some reason oh i'm sorry your question like can I you hear me still connected to my bluetooth so it was like her youtube was playing in my ear oh um, can you hear me now still yeah i can, I can. okay yeah so i was asking if um just based on what you, you just described, if you if you have a program, and I know you're probably super busy, but if you have a program um, to help businesses that you see potential in, right? Like they may just need handholding for one or two more steps to get to that point where they can be on the platform. Um, yeah. Are there ways that you, you help them or you just don't have the bandwidth to do that with everything else that's going on with the business? No, actually, um, we have realized that a lot of brands have potential, but they are just lacking the education mm -hmm. and they just need um, a little bit more support to get to that point where they are really consumer ready. So we are actually in January, we are launching a platform called African CPG. Oh, and that is gosh. Yeah. <laughs> So what we're going to do with African CPG is really 
share a lot of information about the African CPG market. So you'll get a lot of industry news. Um, you'll, got, you'll get a lot of educational resources. And then I think another thing we also want to do is give African brands access to funding. Yeah. So you can have the, the best idea in the world, have <laughs> the best product, but without money, it's going to stay an idea. And I think that's what a lot of African brands are lacking is that mm-hmm. access to capital. So we want to really... Uh, um, assist with those things through African CPG so we can get brands ready to sell on ethnic district. So we're really building this whole ecosystem. Yeah, that's actually. exciting. That's I didn't even know that when I asked you that. So that's exciting. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, because I think it's I think it's it's um it's gonna be such a value add for your business. Um, because there's just there's so many businesses with the potential, like you said, they just don't they just don't know, right? They may have the best. Going back to example, the best chin chin recipe out there. But um, in terms of thinking about how they package, present it, and also make mm-hmm. sure they are um, up to code on the relevant regulations, right? I just think that they don't have. So, um, a couple of last questions before we take a quick break. Um, one for the businesses that are listening that might be interested, I want to understand a little bit about your business model from the the buyer's no the seller side actually so in terms of getting on like what are the options that people have in terms of getting them like do you do you buy like wholesale from them and resell is there consignment package like what do you tend to do for those that come on board so we actually have three main ways that we work with brands and as we uh, continue to work with brands we might stream streamline that down a little bit but for now um, we work with brands wholesale. So like uh, for more established brands that have like a proven track record of mm-hmm. like really strong sales, most oftentimes we'll work with them on wholesale status. Uh, for newer brands that are just now testing the market, um, we do more of a con- assignment so they can list their inventory in the marketplace um we actually offer order fulfillment for brands so they can actually ship their stuff to us and then we ship them out when orders are placed oh, and then okay. they get paid when uh the um the orders are delivered mm. our sellers have access to their own dashboard on the back end of ethnic district where they can log in they can see their orders they can manage their inventories they can see who their customer customers are what products are selling the best so they can make like manufacturing and inventory decisions. So that's why a lot of people say like, we're literally like Amazon. Yeah. I was going to say like, that's a whole operation. (laughs) Girl. And do you know, it's just me. I was just going to ask you, I was like, you think on a fulfillment, do you have like (laughs) a whole bunch of people doing this packing and shipping for you? So what we actually do is we partner with three PLs. Okay. So three PLs are third-party logistics um, companies that their job is just to handle like order fulfillment for mm. companies. So people, uh, companies like Target use three yeah. PLs, Walmart, Kroger, whatever. Um, so that's what we do. We we speak to the three PLs. We we negotiate with them so that we can get lower rates, and then that way. Um, when the sellers ship, ship us their items, they're able to take advantage of those rates, which are actually lower than them just going to the 3PL yeah. themselves. Because when you give them a large volume, right. they're going to drop the cost for mm-hmm. you as opposed to like you just yeah. sending them one pallet or two pallets. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So, wow. Yeah. I'm just like, and now I'm even more impressed. Jeez. I'm, I'm tired but, thinking about it. <laughs> no, I didn't just, start just... out that way. <laughs> 
I started yeah, from I my garage. Yeah, I suppose. And that's a thing. And like, I guess I always remind myself and remind people that like, as you tell stories, because even with my little podcast here, like I get people reaching out and be like, oh my God, this is so great. Like, thank you for doing X, Y, Z or whatever. And I'm like, people don't even understand. I think I was telling you offline, like I started this as just having conversations right um with people and it's taking on a life of, of its own and 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 taking me down paths and ways that I didn't even expect so um yeah <laughs> it's not a what what did they call it it's not an overnight success at <laughs> it's all. like a five-year five-year road to success at, at best um, yeah but you're doing so, a great job <laughs> thank you <laughs> Um, so we'll take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this idea of the market, you know, the two-sided marketplace and how you balance mm-hmm. the needs of both sides. Um, and then start to talk a little bit about the, the challenge you mentioned around funding. I think you've done a good job of like getting funding from diverse sources. And so I want to tap into that a little bit so that people can get a sense of what they could do if they're starting something and they feel overwhelmed by potential options. Mm-hmm. So we'll take a quick break and we will be right back. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you. My Family Recipe from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food 52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we're back. Um, and I wanted to touch on first this idea of a two-sided marketplace. So usually when people are going into business, especially in this business, oh, you have one, one customer base. Or even if you have the one customer base, you have different audiences in that customer base, right? But for you, you have to deal with both, like, and we talked about it before the break, that the the seller side where you're helping with order fulfillment and like whether mm-hmm. you're buying wholesale resale for them and now potentially offering not potentially but offering this education platform this african cpg platform that's coming um i wanted to understand then like on the buyer side too so like people like me who just go on the website to you know to buy whatever how do you manage that side of the business too because i'm thinking like it's two different almost hats you have to wear and I think mm-hmm. about things like customer service, for example. Like if I buy something and I'm, I'm upset, who am I upset at? Ethnic district or, you know, other brand, right? And how do you, um, I guess, manage all of that, I suppose? Yeah, so um, great question. So on the buyer side, it, it when you go on ethnic district, it's just like shopping for an e-commerce mm-hmm. store. Um on the front end, it looks like one uniform store. And we did that deliberately because we didn't want it to look like, 
you're buying this from here, you're buying this from here, you're buying this from here, you're buying this from there. And that's one of the reasons why we actually launched the order fulfillment aspect of it. Because Mm -hmm. think about buying four different products from four different people. That's four different shipping fees. And that's not very attractive to a buyer. But if you can still buy from six different brands and all of your orders ship in the same packages, similar to Amazon Prime, then it's great. You only pay one shipping fee and get all of your products. So the order fulfillment aspect of it has really helped us with dealing with buyers and sellers on both fronts. Now, um, one thing that we do at Ethnic District, we also, because there are brands here in the U.S. that would prefer to do their order fulfillment themselves, And I'd like to add this. If you're a brand in Africa, you have to use ethnic district order fulfillment because we really don't want people shipping (laughs) one or two items internationally to customers. There's like customs, the shipping fees are outrageous. So if you are a brand in Africa and you don't already have U.S. distribution or a warehouse or whatever, you have to use our fulfillment. If you're a brand in the U.S. and, you know, you can fulfill your orders from within the U.S., then you can ship on your own. And so um, with when you buy from those kind of companies that are kind of selling on their own, fulfilling on their own, if there's an issue with customer service, there's an option for you to reach out to that seller directly. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Of course, we oversee the conversation just right. to make sure everything you know goes well, but the seller is in, in charge of you know handling any customer service issues. Now, if you place an order and you know it's fulfilled by ethnic district, then of course we handle the customer service and everything like that, because at that point, we basically take in responsibility of making sure that um, the transaction goes smoothly. So luckily for us, we have a really good uh, customer service. That's one of the Mm -hmm. things that I do not budge on. (laughs) I have had to drive to Alabama just to deliver a customer's order. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because because (laughs) she needed it for something important and I... I absolutely did not want her to have a bad experience. Oh, that's wow. So do you have all of the customer experience um, in customer service too, I should say? Yeah, Um, so we do. And that's important for us because I think one of the things that a lot of people experience with some African brands is really poor customer service. And we wanted to change that. So like we are super customer focused, like no questions asked. If you don't like your order, you can get a credit or a refund. Like we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not yeah. gonna hammer you about why you're gonna return it. Yeah. Like no questions asked. I didn't have a great experience. Noted. We will make it right. Uh, I sound so- slightly distracted because I'm on your website now. Just like I didn't realize the variety of stuff you have here. Oh my gosh! I just saw molds. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, this is going to be my weekend um, situationship. I see. Cool. This is a, and it's it's very well laid out. I like the, it's very, what's the word? Um, I'm in marketing in my day job. I should know the word I'm trying to say. The UX, <laughs> the UX UI is very, it's, I like, this is basically what I'm trying to say, but I can't find the words for it. This is nice. Okay. And I see, I see chocolates too. This girl's chocolate. Anyway, sorry, I should not. I I should not be distracted by. (laughs) I'm distracted. Okay, um, cool. No, that's all amazing. That's great. Um, I'm trying. I'm looking at the time, trying to think of which direction I want to go. Let's talk about funding first, and then we'll come back. I, I, I wanted to touch on. I wanted to touch on something 
more specific, but let's talk about funding first and then we'll come back. So you mentioned funding as one of, you know, probably especially for people of color, black, black people in particular, black women in particular in this country, funding can be really tough in terms of wanting to start or scale your business. Um, but you've managed to get funding from a, you know, in a variety of different ways, like, right. So from mm-hmm. a pitch competition, I saw from a grant, and then I also saw a crowdfunding um, exercise, if you will, for lack of it. I'm losing my words today, <laughs> a, crowd, mm-hmm. a crowdfunding thing. Um, and I was just impressed by how much you're able to do across those different types of funding options. So first I wanted to talk about the pitch competition um, in terms of how you prepared for it. And then for those who are listening, any tips you have for that sort of thing? Because I will say that (laughs) it's one I I could, I've, you know, again, like I said, I've tried to do something like this, but I've also thought about different business models for different, completely different things around African food. And every time, people send me, oh, you should enter this pitch competition. I just get knocks in my stomach. I'm like, this is not my thing. Like, uh, <laughs> I just, it, it's not appealing to me at all. So for me, uh, maybe other people who are listening that might be intimidated by the idea of a pitch competition. Um, if you want to share sort of your experience and tips you might have for, for going through something like that. Well, honestly, first of all, I've only been in three pitch competitions. It's not only, that's that's better than zero. (laughs) But you get people that are like, they pitch after pitch, like week after week after week. And it's like, I've only been in three pitch competitions and the third one I won. But for me, um, I had to, I knew I wasn't going to get funding, all right? Less than 2% of VC funding goes to women, not to talk about Black women. So I knew I wasn't going to get funding. So I had to really bootstrap. Um, But the the number one way you can get funding for your business right off the bat is customers. If you have paying customers, that's revenue. I think sometimes a lot of people think you have to start like this big gigantic idea. Uh, you don't have to do that. I started with eighty dollars and I built my uh, website off of WordPress in the very beginning, um, and I kept building on that. Like it was very minimalistic at the very at the very beginning, um, and you can start that way too. Start with one product instead of starting with three. Um, do what you can, just get started. And then once you have things going, that's when you can start applying to grants and pitch competitions and all of that good stuff. I often see like when I'm in some groups, you'll see like people saying, hey, I need someone to invest in my company, this, this, this. And I'm like, no investor is just going to invest in your company and you haven't started anything. Like investors want to see that you've done a lot on your own with Mm -hmm. very little so that they know if they give you $150,000, if you've been able to grow your company from $80 to six figures and they give you $150,000, you'll be able to grow that too. So start with what you have, use your customers as your your first sources of funding and just be very scrappy. Then once you get a little bit of traction, you start building out your story. Then I would say go to crowdfunding. Mm. crowdfunding for the most part is free there's a lot of crowdfunding platforms indiegogo i personally love iphone women because they have a focus on women entrepreneurs and they even have iphone women of color specifically focused on uh women of color oh founders. i didn't realize that i didn't know yeah that. Mm. yeah and one thing i love about iphone money they're not with the talking they're with the doing so like <laughs> 
you get a lot of companies that like they want tell oh, my sister they will mentor you to death they want to mentor you mentor you mentor you fine. I'm like when are you gonna give me the money because that's really what I need like I appreciate the mentorship yeah black people are so over mentored yeah under funded to a point where it's, yeah it's even insulting at some point because you're like do these people think I just don't know what I'm doing or what so that's why I love life on women because they're like all right we will coach you coaching is different for mentorship because coaching there are deliverables like yeah go do this all right you want to scale all right let's go find a fulfillment center let's get to 50 sellers like there's deliverables yeah. so they do coaching and they give you money you used to grow your business so that's what we need so that's why I love them um, um and the thing with crowdfunding is with iPhone women specifically, they pay you the money as you're crowdfunding. So a lot of crowdfunding campaigns, you complete the campaign. And then uh, once you, sh- you ship the items out to the customers and you get you get the money and then you, sh- you fulfill the orders. But with iPhone women, whenever somebody donates to your campaign, you get the money the next day. So as oh, you that's are crowdfunding, nice. the next day. Yep. The next day. So like. If someone donates, if if today you raise $500, tomorrow you'll receive a payout in your like PayPal or whatever for $500. So you have that working capital to do whatever you need to do while you're you're doing the campaign. So that's really why I love iPhone Women. And um, aside from that, there's a ton of grants, right? Because of the whole Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. a lot of companies are invested in giving funding to specifically black founders, you know, so that's a lot of African people, but you need to be in spaces where you'll know that these opportunities are there. Like don't spend all your data watching YouTube videos. You you know, you need to be in Slack groups, you know, entrepreneurship forums, because that's where they drop all the the knowledge and all the money, Mm -hmm. You, you know? So, um, that's that's how I find out about all of these opportunities. Yeah. And in the beginning, I would apply, apply, apply. I would do, I would get denied, denied, denied. It got to a point where when I just see that first line, thank you for applying, I wouldn't even read the rest of the email because I already know I was yeah. gonna end. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I really owned in on my story, like what is my bigger picture? Because a lot of people want to see your grit in your grant applications. They want to see what you've been able to do with nothing. And they're really interested in seeing what you are thinking in the future. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why I, I, I've been winning grants lately, once I really got my story done is people were like, oh, wow, she's able to pay sellers through mobile money. So Mm. brands in Africa can receive seller payouts because if you sell on Amazon or Fair, you can only do bank deposits or PayPal. A lot of African companies, a lot of African countries don't have PayPal. So she's really creating this whole opportunity for this Mm -hmm. amazing market. Like that's how you want to tell your story. You know, don't just say, I'm doing this because <laughs> of this and yeah. that's it. Yeah. No, it's all about yeah. storytelling. It's right. And it, yeah, it's finding that angle that would be, um, would pique the curiosity, I guess, of, of mm-hmm. the investors and the, the group that's evaluating your your grant or your, or your pitch 
um, et cetera. Great, great. This is all great. Like I, I'm learning a whole lot about you and your business that I didn't know. That's awesome. Um, so as we're running out of time, I think I will move on to wrapping up the, the conversation. Um, and I keep telling people this, I put it, I'm putting it out there. Like I think <laughs> next year, I really want to do a live show. Um, just because there's this, I just get so many people are so excited about the guests that I bring on and the things they have to say and mm-hmm. what they have to offer. And I think bringing all of us together in the same room and that energy, I think will also be helpful um, in terms of creating more, like a more vibrant community, if you will. And so right. I'm playing with some That's ideas awesome. around that. <laughs> and so maybe I will get to ask a couple of the questions I had here that I didn't get to um, then so we'll see and then we may have more to talk about because the africa cpg platform would have launched and all that yes <laughs> yeah um so speaking of i guess my last question was gonna be like what's next for ethnic district but i know one is the the african cpg platform but is there anything else that's on the horizon for you that you are you're i guess you're open to sharing now or what's your your next vision a big thing for ethnic ethnic districts moving forward so I think like just for 2022, mm-hmm. 2021 was a year of like kind of figuring things out operation wise. Mm-hmm. So 2022 for us is all about scale. You know, mm-hmm. right now we're not able to keep up with customer demand. We're constantly constantly selling out of stuff. Mm-hmm. So 2022 is just making sure that we have a lot more products, a lot more sellers on the platform that we're really scaling the brand. Um, while building the African CPG brand as well. And one thing that I really want to do in 2022 is like an expo in Africa for CPG brand, where buyers from Kroger, not just ethnic district, but buyers Mm -hmm. from Kroger, ShopRite, Walmart can actually come and see these brands and place orders and get some of them into other retail spaces. So God willing, that's what we're doing <laughs> for 2022. Yeah, and usually, um, I, and again, this is why I feel like they are just connections with all the conversations I had. Um, last week, my guest on the show, um, Indidi Nelly, um, would be a great contact for you in terms of doing something like that. So she's also trying to build out ecosystems around making sure people connect, and um, specifically mm-hmm. in CPG, like she's also identified that challenge of supply chain and logistics, and also working with distributors so she also has connections with distributors so i think um could be helpful to you too um so anyway i'm connecting all the little dots in my head (laughs) um (laughs) all right so let's wrap up here rapid fire questions we'll do three of them very quickly um first one if you could live on one dish for the rest of your life what would it be watching (laughs) oh my god you just made me (sighs) You know, anyway, anyway, I you just made me think of where can I go watch this week? Okay, that's a great one. I uh, like watch it could be, you know, with all of the accoutrements, right? You could eat that forever. See, um, I said it so fast. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then so this is slightly different. One ingredient that you can't live without. Ooh, beans. <laughs> sticking on the wache. No, because the reason why I like wache is because I actually love beans. Like mm. Gary and beans is my all-time fave. Yeah. And I love every anything that has like beans in it. Yeah. So that's why. Beans is a good one too. Um and then I guess the last one is would you rather lose your sense of smell or your sense of taste? 
that's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would rather lose my sense of smell because I'm not really like, I'm not really like a person that likes like taste, sense. Yes, I wouldn't want to taste my watch your hair now. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> All right. So that's that's it for the rapid fire questions. Um, looks like we are ending right on time. Um, I appreciate you spending your time with us, sharing more about what you do. I think it's an important um, part of the food ecosystem. And I think a lot of people will relate to this idea of either driving, you know, forever to go to a place to, to just get mm-hmm. sardine or kinky or whatever it is. <laughs> and it's out of stock. And even sometimes this past weekend, actually, my own experience calling the shop ahead of time and saying, are you sure you have this? And we'll say yes. And then you go and then you're like, oh, but you, you know, we don't have it, but you can also buy, you know, <laughs> which is a whole other topic that's like um, a whole different conversation <laughs> altogether yeah. um but anyway i appreciate you i appreciate what you you're doing for the community and for the wider i guess um food marketplace so thank you so much for your time thank you so much Jordan, for having me i think you've built a great platform and i'm just so honored to have been a part of it well thank you Thank you for listening to Item 13, an African food podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. To keep up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Item 13 Podcast. Item 13 is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.